everybody welcome to the 275th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct from beaverton oregon and i must say we kind of have an advantage over all the other blazers podcasters because i know the new orleans pelicans pretty damn well you are i think the biggest pelicans fan on the west coast definitely the most knowledgeable in my personal opinion. So it's pretty strange that during the Holy backboard era, we've had a first round playoff series with the Pelicans and now Portland has traded arguably a top 10 blazer of all time to the Crescent city. So it's always great to be able to, you know, you bring someone on to talk about that franchise. Well, fuck that. We, we got the expert right here. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's jump into it again. This is not finalized. There is more to this trade, but it felt important to me to at least acknowledge the trade, acknowledge McCollum's uh, achievements and accomplishments here in Portland and to just kind of discuss it um, at the moment. The trade between the Pelicans and the Trailblazers would send out CJ Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to New Orleans for two second round picks, New Orleans uh, 2022 first round pick with protections on it, uh, Josh Hart, Tomas Sadaransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and D.D. Luzada. Ooh, that is a lot, Sage. When I first texted you this morning, what, what were your thoughts? Because like, you were always in like, I'll believe it when I see it. And because of who you sent, you sent me a Woj tweet. I was like, okay, this isn't some weird, you know, like Twitter personality trying to gain viewerships by tweeting, tweeting out like what he heard on a podcast or what he would imagine a trade would be. This is Woj. Okay. I can keep, I can make this like as a serious thought, the Pelicans and the Blazers currently are like fighting for lottery positioning. So I didn't think that they'd want to trade a potential lottery pick and a bunch of other things for CJ McCollum. Turns out they did. And once I saw the Woj thing, I was like, okay, this is, this has legs to it. This is probably going to happen in the next hour. We kept seeing more and more news trickle out about this situation. So, you know, it was, it was definitely a weird uh, way to wake up, you know, now that it's here and I've had a few hours to process it. it, it I mean, Obviously, we wanted it to be more, but this is what it is. So I think we both found out the same way. I woke up to take a pee. Yeah, me too. Um, my bladder woke me up and I checked checked my phone and I was like, oh, th- like I, I have I have Twitter notifications for, for Chris Haynes and Woj. And I was like, oh, shit, th- this this is happening. This is, is this is the deal. And I was like, I think Sage might be sleeping, but fuck it. I have to send this to you. And I was honestly surprised you responded so quickly. So uh, shout out to our, uh, our bladders for being on that same schedule. So what, what was your first, what was your first thought from a, a blazer perspective and a Pelican perspective when you found out the, the final trade? 
well, to, to this point, what the parts were going to be. Well, I felt like the first thing was I need to know, Trey, what what is the draft capital that the Blazers are getting because of this trade? That was the that was my real big question mark, because even when we were talking about the uh, the trade in, on one of the last podcasts we've done, we've done like eight in the last two weeks. So it's hard to pinpoint when we actually talked about it. But we said that Nah was I mean, we said that Hart was a definite Thomas was a definite. And then it was between Trey Murphy, Nah. I didn't think that they, the Pelicans were going to want to give up on Nikhil, but apparently they they did. So it was always based on what draft capital that the Blazers were going to attain from this trade. It really wasn't the active players that, like, you know, we knew that one of five th- players were going to happen in this trade, three of them. Well, I didn't think Didi, but, like, you know, those were possibilities of getting traded for sure. So that didn't that didn't, like, surprise me. It was really, like, you know, sitting and waiting, what are these draft picks going to be? What are these draft picks going to be? Because that's that's where it really matters. I didn't think that New Orleans was going to give up their own, too, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think when I first saw the trade and I was like, OK, I need to know the draft capital because to, to be perfectly honest, Portland got maybe the fifth or sixth best assets pl- player personnel wise that the Pelicans had. When you look at, you know, there's Brandon Ingram, there's Zion Williamson, Herb Jones, you know, Trey Murphy, like maybe Kyra Lewis. So like Portland, when I saw like Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I'm like, why are we taking, you know, two extra point, you know, shooting guards? I knew Sadoransky had to be there for, for salary perspectives. So I was like, okay, the draft capital better knock my socks off. And it was a bit of a roller coaster because I was like, okay, we got New Orleans 2022 pick as long as it falls between five and 14, which it projects to do at this moment, um, and two second round picks. Then I saw Portland added in Larry Nance, and I was like, oh, that feels like a slight overpay on Portland's perspective. Um, so it feels like Portland left some draft capital on the table given the amount of first round picks that the Pelicans have accrued to dealing with the Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks, and you add that into the lack of first-round picks that they uh, traded with um, the Los Angeles Clippers, it, it, it's a tough pill to swallow to say, okay, we traded you know three starters, and, and we have one first-round pick to, to show for it. Um, it's definitely a bit of a, an intriguing trade. I, I think it's a better trade than the one they made for with the Clippers. But... I, I think they they left they left some meat on that bone. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like you can spin the trade any way you want. I think most people would from both, even you know unbiased. Do we know uh, what the second round picks are? That that has not came out because the the trade is not not finalized. Clearly, it, it's a another cost saving move from Portland. Um, Bobby Marks had a really good eight minute video that where he broke down this trade from a financial perspective, you essentially at the moment have to view it as uh, two separate trades. Uh, Larry Nance slides into that trade exception that the Pelicans generated from the Steven Adams trade. That was a 17 million exception. Larry's about that 10, $11 million range. So Portland was able just to move him there. And then you could go and say, okay, Sadoransky, Hart, um, Nikhil, they fit in with CJ McCollum's uh, cap number. Plus, plus the draft capital. So you break it into two trades, it works. 
Portland sent out, you know, over 43 million. They have 27 million coming in. So they save an additional $15 million this year. They also save at least right now, $23 million next year, which is not for nothing. Um, they're now $17 million under the luxury tax. There's really no concern about that. And they generated a $20.1 million trade exception. I don't know how that was accrued. Bobby Marks is reporting it. I think he's a pretty credible source on that. But one thing that, to, that, that I've learned through this process is you can't have cap space and a trade exception. Like you can't use them both together. So I think that's where we're going to really find out more details about what Portland's motive is uh, pretty sure within the next 48 hours, because are they going to want to take cap space or do they want to use this trade exception right at the deadline and get someone that they they can slide into it? They also have Eric Bledsoe's contract that that can be moved uh, solo. He cannot be packaged with anyone. So there's so many more layers to uncover with that. But one thing is for certain, at the moment, Portland has to waive at least one player. They are at 18 roster spots, which is one over the maximum of 15 plus your two two-way players. So it'll be interesting to see what that follow-up move is because there is at least one follow-up move um, that has to be made. Uh, but Sage, I, I think I would caution fans who are you know reading maybe the, the spin zone tweets that that Woj likes to send out that it's a, you know, a rebuild and, you know, they're not retreating. Uh, And this six, this, this $60 million salary uh, free agent money that they're going to, that, that does not exist. Like it's in theory, a possibility, but you would have to renounce every single player. And that includes Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic, which you basically would have three players in a bunch of 10 day contracts. So that that number doesn't exist. I think when I did my 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 rough math, they could maybe get 20 to 25. You know, if Portland does hit those two lottery picks with with their pick and New Orleans, those first year starting salaries are like in the seven, eight, nine million dollar range, uh, where they would be picking. So that eats up a lot of uh money there. You they also have their own second round pick, they have some decisions to make with their own prospects. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to say how much cap space they will have. They definitely have flexibility. I think outside of Damian Lillard's contract right now, which has a team option uh, after the 2024 season, they have um, just really clean books, but then that's at the moment, you know, if they decide to sign Yusuf Nurkic, if they decide to sign Anthony Simons long-term, those are going to become, you know, a little bit heavier on, on that long-term payroll. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. A couple of, of notes on contracts that I thought what was interesting is Josh Hart has a really interesting contract and in how it was structured. And this, again, is what Bobby Marks was discussing, that it's non-guaranteed for next year. So he does have two years left on his deal at about $13 million per season. However, it's not full. It, it becomes fully guaranteed on June 25th. So it could work out as a pseudo expiring contract. I don't know why you would want. Yeah, to. Yeah, do I don't that. know why you'd want to. He's a young player who gives you size, gives you defense, gives you um, rebounding. Yeah. So that would be pretty interesting if, if they would just decide to shed that from the books. Uh, but it, again, there is flexibility in in that. 
Sage, who, I guess for our listeners, you, you watch this Pelicans team a, a lot. What are what are Portland getting? And I think really focus on maybe Alexander Walker and Josh Hart because you know Saturansky is probably going to get bought out. He won't be with the team long term. Um, or is there anything that we need to know about uh, Didi? So uh, Didi, I mean, I guess we'll start with Didi because that's the last person you said. Um, Didi, I've watched him a lot. He uh, they sent him down to Australia to play to develop. He looks the part of a decent player. I just haven't seen him be that player. Like he, he, you know, he's going to be a D and three shooter. I don't know if he's actually good enough to be that in the NBA. I think he can be that in Australia, but it's a young guy that the Pelicans valued really highly. I, I believe we watched this draft together where Didi was picked. Yes. That's a, that's a Trajan. That's a Trajan pick because he was so into the European and uh, the, uh, foreign players. So he, he, the Pelicans definitely put a lot of time and energy into him, but from what I've seen, it's just such a um, difficult spot for him to be in too, because you had Herb Jones, you had Trey Murphy, you had Josh Hart, you had a lot of players in that position, but he potentially could be a decent D and three. If the Blazers choose to work with him. I mean, like when I saw him in Australia, he was, he was doing fine for Will Weaver. It was just like, he wasn't impressing me like the way uh, Jay Sean Tate did. I think Josh Hart, the most underrated thing about Josh Hart is that he is a amazing rebounder for his position. I remember you, us having discussions about it. And like, I was like, yo, this dude rebounds like at a power forward level. He is, he is the power forward of this Pelicans team. Cause Zion doesn't want to get into the mix. So we got a guy who size wise is not a power forward, but with his role and his determination and his hunger, he is going to be the power forward of this team in terms of like rebounding and defense and heart. He is a very nice player to uh, have in this trade. Like the, the main problem with this team thus far, like with, with the, with that Norman Powell and Robert Covington was we didn't have any spacers. Josh Hart is a respectable shooter and he does a lot of things though. The thing that scares me about Josh Hart with this coaching staff is when Josh is at his best, he's moving around and trying to make plays. I don't know how offensively Josh Hart's going to work with the team, but defensively, he's going to be very, very good for us. So at 6'5", clearly Portland wants to go with Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard. Can he play the three? Should he play the three? It, has, it feels like Portland's kind of went down this path before. We've talked about players this this year in our draft stuff where it's like, oh, he plays bigger than he is. Josh Hart plays bigger than he is. He even he, he's if this team is this team with Yusuf, he is our second best rebounder. I really, really like the intangibles that Josh Hart brings to this team. He, he's a very good player. I know he's not sexy, but he does all the things that you need to win. So maybe it's about him building that continuity with Ant and Damien. So in future years that they can collaborate and make do winning basketball plays. Cause right now I don't think he's helping us because he's not a, he's not a ceiling raiser. He's a floor raiser. So he, his competent basketball is going to make us win games, but at least Ant and he will have time to bond on the floor because those two are going to be on the floor when games really matter in, in the future. And then what about Nikhil? 
man, he, he is a very, very confident player. Um, I mean, the first the first play he ever played in the NBA, he was ISOing because it was in Toronto. So he was just trying to ISO Kyle Lowry. Like his confidence is very, very high. He is a high confidence player. I wish he shot more threes, but I think what he likes doing best in the game is getting to the getting into the paint and scoring on the drive. But when he is hot, he he is a very streaky good shooter. Like um, in in that New Orleans Portland game this year, the reason the Pelicans won was because Nikhil was on fire. I think he hit like six or seven threes. So he's one of those guys like in the optimal role, I think comes off the bench and lights up the scoreboard. And then if he's doing well, he'll be in the finishing five because he is, he can play defense. He can play defense. I think Blazer fans are going to think that he's better at defense than he actually is because of the way he plays. Like he plays like he is engaged, but I don't know if that's like the real deal thing. Cause the Pelicans never were a good defensive team or you know, he just shows like he's a good defender. I just don't think he is. But, like, offensively, he is going to be that microwave for the team. And, I mean, right now, we have two scorers on the team in, the, in Damian and Ant. So, to have him in that optimal, in the uh, off the bench, we're going to have, you know, 48 minutes of competent scoring. But I, I would imagine that he starts this year with you know like ant he and josh because those yeah. guys need to play to get like if this is going to be a core that they're working with he needs to have time with anthony yeah i i think one of the the bummers about this move uh to me is now it kind of takes a little bit like the the, the shining light of the clippers trade was yeah, keon's adding- not gonna have keon's not optimal anymore Yep, you added Keon Johnson, and then you find out he's going to be out a couple of weeks with an ankle injury, and that, that's a little bit of salt in the wound because you want to see a former first-round pick um, at least get a chance to develop, get his feet wet, and now you bring in Alexander Walker yeah, and he's, Josh Hart, mm-hmm. who are going to be ahead of him on the depth chart, and what Keon Johnson really needs is to play. With spacers. Uh, there's also C.J. Ellaby, who is a second-round pick, and we know in Portland it takes about three years for second-round picks to to show something. So uh, I think the roster is significantly unbalanced again. Uh, only four players currently on the roster right now could be, could play power forward or center, you know, and that's two rookies, Trenton Watford and Greg Brown, one injured player for the entire year in Cody Zeller and, and Yusuf Nurkic. So um, clearly the goal is to be terrible this year, which is fine with me, but there, there are a lot of holes to fill on, on this roster. I wonder when, because Dame's been out forever, and then Nasir will be out forever. Nasir's out for the season. Yeah, Cody Zeller's out for the season. Yes. Is there another player that's out for the season on our current roster or is out for a significant portion of time? Mm -hmm. Because we should be able to have an emergency exemption power forward. Like, if he's 6'9 and can play the four, just bring him in. It's... I'm sure you'll probably see a lot of Justice Winslow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Justice probably will be the. What do you think the starting lineup is going to be now? Jesus Christ. Um, And by the way, the Blazers should pay fans to attend games rather than accept their money for the product they will will be putting out on the floor. It's going to be awful. To end the season. Um, I think you would have to say 
Anthony Simons, mm-hmm. Nikhil, Josh mm-hmm. Hart, Trenton Watford, and Yusuf Nurkic. It's it's a much better lineup than we we've been seeing recently, just because there's another shooter on the floor. I think that I remember last time we were here, I was talking about how Yusuf will never hit another ceiling game. I think with this team, like four out of the five are actual NBA players on our starting five. So I, I think Ant is going to be able to hit a ceiling again. Yusuf's going to be able to hit a ceiling again. You know, we, we are a better team than what we've seen in the last three. I think the Blazers need to be cautious and careful of how they approach the rest of the season. They've clearly indicated they want to lose games. They want to get that, that high draft pick. They need to be careful in how many minutes they're playing Nurkic if they don't move him at the deadline. They need to be careful of how many minutes they're giving Anthony Simons um, just to kind of like, let's just kind of go through the motions. Let's, you know, I know it's going to be a tough pull to swallow, but the, the better lottery odds you have, the greater you, chance you have at getting a true game changer this June. Is Dennis Smith, wouldn't you want to put uh, Keon in like, 60% of his minutes at the two and then like 40 at the point, or would you just strictly put him at the, at the two? One of the best things about him was his ability to get into the lane and kick. So maybe Dennis Smith just does not be a part of the rotation anymore. If you're I, trying I, would, to... I would be okay with that. I think anytime you can get Anthony playing off ball and practicing playing off ball, we know Dame cannot play off ball, that that's just not his strength. And Anthony has shown a little bit. Uh, He's shown a uh, little bit of that ability. Yeah. So if he can hone in on that and really just, I mean, the, to be honest, the games don't matter. Like the team needs to lose. So what I would do if I was the coach, say, Anthony, this game, we're going to, you're going to play almost exclusively off ball. You need as many reps off ball as you can. And they should really focus on that for the remainder of the season because playing off ball with, Dennis Smith Jr. or Keon Johnson is going to be like, it's going to be hell for a little bit. But then when you play off ball with a guy like Damian Lillard, it's like, oh, the basket looks bigger. You know, it's just like when you, you know, try something, you try to shoot with a bigger basketball, you know, just to get your technique down. And then you use a regular NBA basketball, like, oh, like everything's netting. Like, so I think that would be a good approach moving forward. But obviously, Sage, I didn't know if this day would come. Like, t- to be honest, yeah, at least we made the decision, which is a beautiful thing. It's it's two years too late um, and not no fault of CJ McCollum um, or Cronin, really. Yeah, the Blazers have, you know, you, we talked about buying low, selling high. The, the Blazers are buying high, selling low like like none other over this past year. And th- this is kind of the product of, of that philosophy. Um, I think it's unfortunate that that Neil Olshea kind of allowed this to happen for so long. Um, I'm glad we're seeing CJ get his, get his flowers on social and people are, you know, talking about his legacy. And we we had a fan question about that earlier this year, about what would fans remember about CJ if he were to be moved. And this is going as I, as we both envisioned, which is, is, is great. Um, I think the Pelicans are scheduled to uh, be in Portland on the 30th of March. So, you know, if you're there, give CJ a standing ovation, wear your CJ jersey. Um, Like I said, I think you can make an argument that he is a top 10 blazer of all time. Uh, Just a fantastic human being. Um, 
he's part of one of my most, I think, proud and, and fond professional moments. I was doing social media for the team. It was 2013. I had scouted CJ and I was really happy we picked him. You know, then we got the call. Okay, let's, you're going down there. You're creating content, uh, get to the airport. CJ gets to the airport. First of all, first of all, it was funny because they were coming in from Chicago and Mike, we see Mike Rice get off the plane. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what's Rice doing here? He's with his wife. And he was on the same plane as CJ McCollum, you know, and CJ came and we stuck a microphone right in his face. And like a pro, you know, he was able to, to give us his thoughts and just the, the, the consummate professional, you know, then he's, you know, signing, you know, taking pictures and signing things for fans at baggage claim, chatting it up with Mike Rice. And then the following day kind of followed him around uh, the practice facility or excuse me, the arena got, you know, bunch of shots in his New Jersey. He was doing courtside with Brian Wheeler, um, just a super genuine person. And I think Portland lost a lot in, in the culture department um, today with CJ. Like he's, he's been the consummate pro, um, you know, but great player, better person. And for him, um, just kind of thinking about him right now, yes, athletes have all this money in the world, but money can't keep you close to your family. And he, you know, he has roots. He built literal roots, a vineyard in, in the Willamette Valley. And his, his wife, Elise, just gave birth to their first child. And, you know, he's got a dog and he's got his wife. Like he's got his family in Portland and he's probably going to have to shack up in some form of a condo in New Orleans and try to focus on basketball for the next two months. And then the summer is going to be, you know, probably uprooting his family to New Orleans. So like it's, there is a personal side to the, the business. And I hope that's not lost. And so just kind of keep that in mind. Like this is going to, this is a tough transition for him. It, but at the same time, I think it is exciting for him professionally. I think personally, he would have rather stayed. I think professionally, he's probably like, okay, I get, I get to shine. I get the ball in my hands. I'm we're, we're playing for something in new Orleans. Like we're trying to get in the dance in Portland. He knew what the situation was. And I think there's probably a little bit of relief on both sides. Like you can only be the product of a trade trade rumor for so long, but without it, you know, cutting through however thick your skin is. So I'm kind of just relieved that it, that it's, that it's over. Um, I think it's better for the, the nostalgia. Like now we don't have to sit through maybe yeah. Extra seasons of like, Oh God, like really move, move this guy. Like, what are we doing now? It's like, okay. The timing may have been a little bit late, but, you know, it's still, it's still, uh, you know, it still counts. And you can really look back and think about all of the the good times uh, that CJ had. What, what, what is your, what is the memory that stands out to you, Sage, when it comes to CJ McCollum in Portland? I think it has to be that block in uh, against Denver. He stepped it up. I mean, like we were not, this build was never optimal for both he and Dame. But when Dame was hurting, he stepped up and showed out and won us a series. Yeah, they, they don't win. They don't advance to the conference finals without, without him. No, no way. So, yeah, I, I mean, it has to be. He's just been such a part of this Blazers era to see to think that he won't be there against Orlando or against the Lakers is, is just like a – it's weird. It, it's a culture shock. 
because he has just been such a foundational piece of the Portland Trailblazers. There's things that he does that we might not like, but he was such a foundational, like, this is a really good player type of thing. And now he has a new challenge, and that's awesome, and I hope that they succeed. But just to, that culture shock of not seeing him on the court playing his heart out when everybody else, like, the team isn't optimized for him. This shit sucks. But he was out there, like, in the passing lanes trying to get the, the momentum steal to seal the game. So, you know, it, it, it's sad. There are so many moments for, for me to count. I mean, obviously you have the, the CJ's victims unit. He had Dirk doing the tango, uh, I think circa like two, 2017. That video is circulating. That was an absolute gem. He shook Dante DiVincenzo out of his Nikes uh, in uh, the fall of 2018 against the Bucks. Um, just the ability and, and the craftiness with this handle, one of the best handles I think you'll ever see. Uh, you have the 50 points and I think like 29 minutes against the Chicago Bulls in 2017, 2018. He had, I think like 35 or 36 on opening night against the Pelicans uh, to open the 2015, 16 season. And that was a year that he and Dame really came of age. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you took the best moment, clearly the block and then clutch jumpers over Torrey Craig um, one after another to seal that game seven victory the 41 point performance in that four overtime marathon in game three oh, against God, the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, Lesser, the Atlanta triple double was really cool. Absolutely. One, uh, one play that, that I haven't seen mentioned, but was just kind of uh, synonymous with just an ass kicking of the Thunder. Because everyone remembers Dame in that Thunder series. And yes, Dame was incredible. But there was a play in game four. Uh, OKC had just won game three. They were dunking. Dennis Schroeder was, you know, fake tapping Dame time. And we really needed to win game four. And the Blazers came out with this like, fuck you attitude. And CJ absolutely blocked Paul George in the second half, then pulled up, like dribbled it down, pulled up for a transition three. And it just like, it epitomized that, that, that series that we weren't going to take their shit anymore and got out of the first round after uh, the sweep of the Pelicans the year prior and it was just, he played with the utmost confidence. Like he had, he had a really amazing swagger to his game. One thing that I want to mention is, I think one of the big things with Ant is that his playmaking isn't up to par right now. And um, in every trade that Cronin has done, they've had guys that can playmake like Justice and Keon. Like, I think those are two of their best skill sets is to play make. Josh Hart can bring the ball up and play, you know, pseudo point guard. Nikhil Alexander Walker can play that, that, that playmaking role. So to, if we're trying to get Ant into the, that playing off the, the star role of being that off ball player, they, it, it's not the same as Damian Lillard, but there are guys that can't are capable of breaking down the defense and making a play. Obviously not that the skill set of Damian Lillard, but they can do it. So this is the, I think that this is a big thing for, uh, for Ant is to just feed off of those guys. And again, we're going to, I, I have a feeling that we're going to fight like dogs for the rest of this year and have a lot of close losses. Cause the, this, the Josh Hart's a dog. Nikhil Alexander can get, get uh, motivated. 
Justin Winslow is fighting for his place in the league. Keon Johnson's fighting for relevancy in this league. There are guys that our entire team now is guys that are fighting for something. So it's not like it's just we're playing just to play. We're playing for to prove ourselves in this league. So I, I would imagine we see a lot of guys like ready and willing to kick ass. As long as they lose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, I, I, I don't think we have we, the skill. I don't think we have I know. the skill. I'm just like, that, that's great. They want to try, but we need that lottery luck. I would be incredibly stoked. So like I was, I, I'm still a little peeved. They didn't get Trey Murphy. I like Trey Murphy uh, from the Pelicans in, in that trade. Um, but the, the silver lining is if it does fall between five and 14, it comes to Portland this year. We've been doing a lot of research on the prospects and then if, if not, it does roll over into 2023. And it's always good to have multiple picks mm-hmm. in a draft. So What's your optimal draft? I'm going to try and be realistic and I'll say 10th. Like let's okay. say the Pelicans pick is 10th. So that would bump them up uh, a spot. And where does Portland land? Sage 6th, 5th? Oh, if that, I mean, that could be a bummer. Let's, let's say they're in the top four. Portland's in the top four. Um, I think you take one of... Jabari, Chet, Paolo, or, or Jaden Ivey. I think okay. you take one, one of those four. And then at, at 10, you really have to see who's left on the board. Mm-hmm. Like it would be like if you go Jaden Ivey, then you probably want to get maybe more of a, of a big with uh, the 10th pick. But if you go big, I see, I think the good thing about Portland not having a lot of bigs, you could go double big. In, yeah, you in can go track. Ivy or you can go like Durant and something. I mean, What's great about, I think, Jabari, Chet, and Paolo is they're interchangeable. Like, they're not just, you know, traditional, okay, you're just a four, that's all you can play. I think there's a lot of versatility and, you know, roster. Jabari could be be a three and a half or a small ball five. And honestly, Um, I think that's the same for every one of them. Maybe not Paolo being a three, but you you see it. Like, yeah, there's a... I think now it shows that we need to really dra- think about, you know, the the high lottery as well as just those top those top picks. So I think my ideal draft would be to get one of those three forwards mm-hmm. and then let's say Johnny Davis of Wisconsin slips to six or seven. You package 10 and then something move up, get Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis, I think, is one of the best shooting guards uh, prospects in the draft. And I think he's 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 a rare type of player who fits with what Portland wants to do. Um, he can play off ball next to any type of point guard. So that right now would be my, my optimal draft. I think mine would probably, instead of Johnny, it, it it's AJ, but I, I think there's both, both are good prospects. I kind of just want to focus on AJ's height. Like I think both of those guys in their most optimal position are secondary guys. I just, I just like AJ's uh, game a little bit more so than Johnny's, but obviously that can change. Does the addition of Nikhil and Josh, does that make your uh, worries about Nasir's injury history lessen because we do have competent wing players now? No, I'm still worried because of, I mean, one, you want your your players to be at at full health. I mean, for, for them personally, obviously, but moving forward, like it was clear when Nasir played, he gave Portland that those intangibles that kind of factored in, into good production on the court. So 
you know, I, I've always valued Nasir as like a starting small forward. And that's kind of where I want him to be. Like I, I like Nasir better than, than Josh Hart and Nikhil as prospects. So the potential of, of Nasir, I think is greater. I think Josh Hart, you mentioned is a floor raiser. Very solid. I think he could actually come in off the bench and just be a solid. Or Nikhil, I think Nikhil could as well. Yeah. So you're getting players to round out your rotation. Whereas I think Nasir had that potential to be a really core guy, like your third or fourth guy um, down the line. So you never want to see one of your players have, have injury history. Um, and also there are some good wings in this draft. I think the wings in the draft eases that more than, than Hart and Alexander Walker, just because you don't know the direction of the franchise. Are they really going to let Josh Hart go? Uh, what are you going to get from Nikhil? Um, because he's been a little bit up, up and down. So be, 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 uh, be nice to Nikhil. He's still a very young guy. He's going to have his incredible highs and his very low lows. He, he, ha- he has the consistency problem that Ant does. So, like, these are guys that are – I don't think Ant can go to a bar and get a drink yet. Like, these guys are young. <laughs> these guys are really young. So, be, be patient with them. I, they are going to try and try their asses off for this team. So, just be patient with the process and be happy you're watching young guys play and, play and learning instead of old vets that are just losing. So we will be back, I'm sure, before Thursday. Uh, we will be back before Thursday. Uh, there is more coming down the pipeline. Uh, we had actually planned on reporting this about five hours earlier, but because it wasn't official, I, I wanted to wait and see if anything happened. But it, it may may not happen until Thursday. And I felt like we owed it to our listeners and to CJ. Like there, mm. This is a big trade. Like we, a lot of fans did not expect CJ to ever get moved. And so when it happened, I think regardless of maybe what the return is just to show our appreciation, yeah, give him his flowers for CJ because he's one of a kind. And, and I think it's, it truly feels like the, the end of an era and, and we'll get into whether Portland should rebuild or fully just uh, reload. Um, we'll get into maybe what they could do if they end up making moves with their trade exception or Eric Bledsoe or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, this was more about uh, CJ McCollum and, and his accomplishments and his time spent with, with the organization. So we'll, I'm sure we'll be back before Thursday. And then Friday, we will have a, a uh, future Fridays. We looked at Benedict Matherin of the Arizona Wildcats. So be on the lookout for that. And if Portland ends up keeping these picks, it's going to be a lot of draft content on the Holy Backboard, and oh, you yeah. are going to want to listen so you can have, like, I think the best thing about, like, no knowledge about the draft the is, like, water cooler hey, talk. You're going to yeah, be in the hey, I wanted that player. Why, why did we pass on him? Or yeah. I, I can't believe we got that player. Did you see how far he slipped? Mm. Uh, it makes the draft that much more enjoyable uh, personally. So stay on the lookout. And, and the tournament. If you know who Jaden Ivey is now, when he's kicking ass for Purdue in the future, you're going to know, yeah, well, Jaden Ivey's a top 10, uh, a top five prospect. Of course, he and, and Edie and Williams are getting to this, this uh, final four, of course, type of, yeah, the water cooler talk. And then just base knowledge about, you know, these prospects and what they can do. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I- Hey, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.